In the Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Jesus Christ. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he got up and followed him. And as he sat at dinner in the house, many tax collectors and sinners came and were sitting with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard this, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So let's bow our heads just for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this wonderful record of the calling uh, of Matthew. And we do pray, Lord, that you, by your Holy Spirit, will open the eyes of our hearts, that we may see wonderful things in your law. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, please be seated. It's really, really lovely to be with you all this afternoon. I was just telling um, Leslie, who it's lovely to be with Leslie and, and partnering like this, that I was so organised today. I'd even pumped the tyres up in the car and packed my robes. Uh, everything was ready to go. I printed off my sermon and I left it on the, on the desk. Uh, so don't actually have a text, but I hope you won't mind. I, I think I can remember some of it. <laughs> but I'm really excited about this passage, about Matthew. Does anyone know what Matthew means? It's really funny. You sort of look up, you know, commentaries and things. And actually, those, those are sort of foundational bits of information you want when you go to, to, the, to the commentary and that passage. And of course, you'd have to go back to the introduction and all that sort of stuff. Matthew, Katie means gift of Yahweh. How about that? Gift of Yahweh. And do you know the other name that Matthew's known by in, in, in the Gospel traditions? Levi. Yeah. Uh, Luke and Mark call Matthew Levi. So there's a little bit of a, a, an interesting puzzle. Otherwise uh, called Levi in those Gospels and Matthew in, in Matthew's Gospel. And does anyone know what Levi means? This is really all complicated. Because <laughs> you know it's all coming for her. <laughs> it's going to be something like my heart? Well, that may be true. That may well be the case. It was. But this is, again, I think it's fascinating. Levi apparently means united or joined. Uh, so you have in this character that the, 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 ne the meanings of. Of, of being a gift of Yahweh and united and joined. And actually, just we just step back for a moment and we think about what Jesus was about. One of the things he was about was actually uniting Israel, bringing Israel together, bringing the people of God back together. And this story is a, a wonderful example of that. Now, it's, it comes but sandwiched between two other quite powerful stories. Uh, the one immediately, the story immediately before this one 
is the story of the healing of the paralytic. This is as Matthew's Gospel tells it to us. And do you remember what the, what, how that ended? I mean, do you, do you remember, I mean, what was the really good news about, about the healing of the paralytic? I mean, what's the, what's the really exciting thing? Like, what was the really amazing thing about the healing of the paralytic? He had his sins forgiven as well. No, I don't want the theological answer. But the amazing thing was he was a paralytic and he was healed. <laughs> <laughs> but you're absolutely right. He also had his sins forgiven by Jesus. And... Um, uh, Missing the really good news in that story, who who were the characters who were who were a bit picky about Jesus forgiving sin? The scribes, the teachers of the law, they didn't like that because only God can forgive sins. That's true, isn't it? Uh, so in that story, it's it's there's conflict. And it's about the way Jesus is behaving and some of the things he's saying, and he's meeting resistance from the guardians of the tradition, the gatekeepers. And we, we were having a fantastic chat in theological reflection just before we came in this afternoon. We had this wonderful case study that Stu had given to us. And of course, we're, we're coming in that as clergy, in my case, as ordinance in Lee Cosman and Tim's case, and we're talking about things like church order and discipline, and all the things that we'd love to see come <laughs> in the life of the Anglican Communion. And you know, the, the scribes in the healing of the paralytic, what were they doing? They were just being, they were being, they were honouring God, watching God's back for him, and making sure that this upstart Jesus wasn't wasn't appropriating to himself things that were only properly God's domain. And then we come uh, to the story afterwards, uh, after this one, and it's, it's about fasting. And John's disciples noticed that Jesus' disciples always seemed to be at a party, eating and drinking and having a good time. But John had them fasting. So why on earth aren't you fasting? The sort of that tendency in, in church life, those sort of ascetically minded people who like to, you know, make sure that we're, we're you know, we're, we're, we're not enjoying life too much. <laughs> and of course then Jesus talks about new wine or wine skins and all that sort of stuff. And here in this story, again, it's, a, it's an occasion for Jesus coming up against the gatekeepers. Uh, and so Jesus um, sees Matthew sitting in the tax booth. So let's just locate Matthew. This is the first time we meet him. He's probably some sort of customs official collecting money from people as they crossed across the various jurisdictions, whether it was uh, Herod Antipas, uh, his tetrarchy, or Philip's tetrarchy, and being there in Capernaum on the Sea of Galilee where Leslie and I have been and, and, I, and I do, if you ever get the chance to go, if you haven't been, go, because it is just, it opens so much up for you. But anyway, so there is Matthew and he's sitting at his, his, his table, probably not a tax collector as such, 
but someone collecting the duty. It's a bit like um, in the olden days, you know, to cross a bridge, you'd have to pay a penny or something. Haiti Bridge, you know, um, that sort of thing. He was, he was working for one of the Herods. But whatever his status was precisely, he would not have been a very popular character in the Jewish community, as we know. Uh, and uh, Capernaum was where Jesus was based for much of his ministry around Galilee. What do you think? I love these sorts of questions. We don't know the answers to. Do you think Matthew would have known about Jesus? Maurice, what do you think? Would Matthew have heard of Jesus? Would he have known who Jesus was? Yeah, possibly. I think it's very likely. I think Jesus was big news in Capernaum. Do you think Jesus knew Matthew before he called him? Paddy, what do you think? Not necessarily. No, not necessarily. I, if I have to put my, if I, you know, we're going to find these sort of things. I mean, these are the sorts of questions I can't wait to ask when you're in glory. Lord, how, how, how did you know to call Matthew? You know, those are the sorts of questions. I suspect Jesus had had his eye on him for a while. Well, that's something I don't speculate, but I love those sorts of Ignatian spirituality um, <laughs> sort of speculations. I think he probably did. So anyway, he calls him. And then, and, and, and of course, the Gospels are just, they're written so succinctly. They distill the narrative down, don't they, to the bare bones. And even when they've done that, there's still so much in it. But the next scene is, you know, you know so they have the call, Matthew getting up from his box, uh, from his store, and, and you, one of the things I've done is I've Googled art representations of the calling of Matthew. And I discovered that Caravaggio has done an amazing painting of the calling of Matthew. In fact, I mean, this is amazing, but there are, he did three studies of Matthew. And they're in a church in Rome, I can't remember the name of it because I've got my text. Um, and the, 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 whoever's written the Wikipedia article says it was one of the moments that, that marked the beginning of the Western art tradition. Like, it's beautiful. And, then, and but the, the paintings are written, are, are, are painted in the style of Caravaggio's time. So, so Matthew's wearing um, whatever it was, 15th, 16th century Italian attire. You know, and they're, they're all sort of seated around, and the line is just, it's, it's, it's very dramatic. So there he's got up, but the next moment is they're round the table having a meal together with um, many tax collectors and sinners. Now just put yourself in the shoes of the Pharisees. Just begin to inhabit what, what, what's going through their minds. They, the Pharisees, are desperate to see the redemption of Israel. They're desperate to see God intervening dramatically into their history, removing all the pagan Gentiles, the, the oppressive Romans, and restoring Israel. And they firmly believe that that's going to happen if, if basically if they can purify the people, get everyone ready, and everyone behaving appropriately so God is able to come. And so they're going around making sure everyone's doing the right thing just in case God is going to intervene. And Jesus seems to be going around and unpicking all their good work. Now imagine you're, you've got a parish and you've been doing a long series, and this happens in some churches, they, they, they do a series on Exodus and it lasts a year. 
I was speaking to a, a North American friend who's in a big Baptist church over there. He's been week 33 of a, of a sermon series on Exodus. Meticulously training and discipling his congregation. Now imagine if someone had come in and started setting up something else. As actually it's not all about Exodus at the moment, it's all about one Samuel. <laughs> <laughs> Or, or, or just think, you know, you, you've really put your, your neck on the line as rector in the parish and you've stood up for a particular ethical principle. And someone comes along and says, you know, rector, that's not really what God's interested in. You would feel, you might feel frustrated, you might feel, begin to feel very angry and disappointed. You feel that God's honour was being in some way impugned and you were just trying to be a faithful pastor. So actually, don't completely reject the poor Pharisees. The Pharisees, if, if the scribes were concerned about doctrine and the niceties of theology, the Pharisees were primarily concerned with practical behavior, day-to-day -day behavior. And certainly, if you, wanted to be, if you wanted to be within the regulations of purity and, uh, and, uh, and tithing and all that sort of thing, you, you would not fraternize with Pharisees and tax collectors because they're impure. They're, so you, you taint yourself. You know, it's a bit like unyoking yourselves from unbelievers. It's very complicated, this, because in some circumstances, it's quite right to unyoke yourself from unbelievers. But in other contexts, it's not necessarily right to. And these are the, some of the pragmatic challenges that we in the church face. And, um, the Pharisees want to know on what basis does Jesus allow his disciples and encourage them to eat with sinners and tax collectors. Now, as you know, it's familiar ground. To eat, to sit down around a table with people is actually a very intimate thing to do. And you're expressing at some level solidarity with those people. And that's what was really bugging the Pharisees. I to tell this story against myself. So one of my frustrations over the last little while with COVID and everything, and people starting to come back to church, I discovered lots of people aren't coming back to church. That's really annoying as a, as a clergy person, as a rector, as a pastor. And in fact, most of the people aren't coming back because anybody who's my age and younger, maybe even a little bit older than me and younger. And then Alistair, who many of you will know, Alistair was on just before he was heading off to Galway, Alistair ran round all the young guys in the parish, and not just not just the such young guys, and said, fancy a drink? Should we go out for a beer in Dorking? And I said, Dad, that's a great idea, Alan. And part of me was thinking, is that a great idea? I'm a bit cross with them all, because I haven't seen them for two years. <laughs> and sure enough, we went down to the Dorky Duck, um, and, I, I, and they were all there, having an absolute ball. And actually, I had a ball. It was really good. And I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, William, this, this is good. You love these people, right? I said, yeah, yeah, okay, yes, I do. So well, this is where they want to be. And it's good to be here with them. So uh, I sort of get the Pharisee thing. <laughs> I've experienced it quite recently. And, and then, of course, it gives Jesus this opportunity 
to say that actually the sick don't need a doctor, but the unwell. The sick, the, the, sorry, the sick need a doctor, not the well. And then he quotes Hosea 6, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And as a good rabbi, he says to the Pharisees, just go, listen, boys, go and, well, boys, go and think about that verse in Hosea. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And the word mercy that we have here has to do really with the, what's often translated as steadfast love. I desire steadfast love, not, not literally sacrifice, but external religious ritual. We could read that for you. For I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners. Now we're honouring Matthew today, and um, we don't have to answer the question whether actually it was this Matthew who wrote Matthew's Gospel, although I'm very happy to, to, to believe it was. But um, we've been journeying through on Sunday evening, on Sundays, recently, the letter of James. Um, this is one of what I just wanted to, to spend a moment or two talking about the connection between Matthew and James, because both particularly have a, a ministry to the Jewish believers in Jesus. And this is one of my, again, this is one of my, this is, this is eisegetical, eisegetical at the very best. But I wonder whether Matthew and James were quite good buddies. Because James, the primary sources for James, the letter of James, are the Sermon on the Mount and the Book of Proverbs. And what you have in those traditions is a really down-to-earth, concrete expression of what the kingdom of God looks like. It's really basic wisdom that actually what it does, and what the Sermon on the Mount does, it, it, it gets under the sort of skin of Torah and the law and all the regulations, which are all good and perfect in themselves. And what Jesus does, he does this amazing thing where he excavates the human heart and reveals what's really there and does deep, deep surgery on human beings. I've had a very painful, enjoyable, but painful time going through the letter of James. We've gone through the themes of not showing partiality to the wealthy. We've gone through the taming of the tongue, the tongue that is used to bless God in one moment and then to uh, curse the neighbour in the next. And it exposes not only our hypocrisy, which is, which is painful, and this is what Jesus is doing so often with the religious leaders, the gatekeepers, exposing the hypocrisy. They're more interested in the religious, the sacrifice, the, the sort of external uh, aspects of religion, rather than what the heart of it is all about. God's love and his mission, Lee, <laughs> to people. So it's hypocritical, and, our, and we feel our own hypocrisy exposed, like me struggling with all the guys pitching up for Amistad invite to the pub. But it's more than that, because actually Jesus then also exposes, far from it being, far from it being Jesus is the blasphemer, they're the blasphemers. Because they have disregarded the poor in their midst who are made in the image of God. 
So in their carelessness of human beings or for human beings, they are actually exposed as being the ones who are the blasphemers. Now, I, I, I've experienced all these and the third thing is, uh, and this comes from the, this comes in the gospel tradition too, in Matthew's gospel too, but that behavior ultimately, the hypocrisy, <laughs> the, the blasphemy, ultimately has its origin, and James is very clear on this, in the demonic. It ultimately comes from the devil. And that is kind of, you know, you begin to feel your, your, your heart exposed to, to, to the, the complexity we as human beings have. We bring those complexities into the role as pastor. It's the impossible job, isn't it? Absolutely impossible. So the final thing I'm going to leave you with is another Matthean concept. Well, it's Jesus' concept, but we hear it recorded by Matthew. And it's loved and picked up very significantly by James. One word, and it comes in the Sermon on the Mount, and it is the word perfect, teleos. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, be perfect, therefore, as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, I've always sort of thought that that verse is Jesus off on some sort of aberration where he doesn't really connect with who you really are. But the project is to become and to be perfect. And the word perfect means, has to do with wholeness and integration. Levi, united, joined. It's to do with not compartmentalizing who we are as people but being totally of the Lord and being my God. Um, perfect. That word in the letter of James appears seven times. Isn't that beautiful? And actually, for me, it's been a hermeneutical key not only to understand the letter of James, who was greatly inspired by by this tradition of Matthew's Gospel. But I think for Matthew too, in that calling, the process of being made whole, being made perfect, began for Matthew. Because in that moment, like Zacchaeus, he, he experiences grace, and he experiences God's love for him. No wonder it completely transformed his life. And turned him around. Amen. Oh,